The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, broadcasting from the Cromer Mashburn Family Studios here at the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And as always, we are striving to be your public radio source for news, information, advice, tips, techniques, and motivation to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Now, today's topic is going to seem a little strange at first. You're going to ask yourself, why in the world is a real estate investing program having a discussion about bankruptcy? You only have that question if you have never been the recipient of one of those great big giant envelopes from the federal bankruptcy court informing you that a tenant or a borrower or a land contract holder has filed bankruptcy and you have been named as a creditor. So what we're going to talk about today is creditors' rights in regard to bankruptcy of your customers. My guest today is Tom Novak. Tom has been practicing law for 28 years and routinely represents both nationally and here in Ohio lenders and servicers and note buyers and real estate investors on things ranging from default servicings to to servicing to creditors rights issues in bankruptcy. He is the moderator of the Ohio Note Buyers Forum on LinkedIn and is with Walker Law Offices LLC in Pickerington, Ohio. Tom, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. It's good to be with you, Vina. And it's great to have you. I, uh, of course, uh, saw you give a presentation at the uh, Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs in uh, Columbus the other day and uh, practically called you on the way home and said, <laughs> man, we need, to, we need to talk about this on real life real estate because it's, it's a topic that you really have to specialize in. I mean, I think you you have to be an attorney who has done this to really be able to adequately answer people's questions um, about what happens when. And uh, not everybody deals with being a creditor in a bankruptcy every day, but boy, if you're in real estate long enough and do enough deals, it is going to happen to you. There is no doubt about it. We see it uh, all all the time with our uh, clients. Mm-hmm. So let, let's just let's just start with uh, why is it important for people who are in the real estate business to even understand creditors' rights? 
Well, I, I think it's important um, pr- primarily because if you um, get that big notice that you were talking about earlier uh, in the mail and you do nothing about that, um, you are likely to have uh, slept on your rights and um, uh, be in a worse position um, uh, than you might ordinarily be. Um, the key to, um, uh, you know, if you're a creditor in bankruptcy, the key is basically understanding what your what your rights are and getting getting counsel on that whether or not you know you're comfortable in your own right or whether you go go to an, an attorney and say look I got this notice and um, what do I need to do do here because failure to act could <clears throat> essentially result um, in in loss of rights um, you could lose your mortgage position if you um, if you would own a note in a mortgage for example uh, you could potentially uh, lose the potential to collect rents um, so it's very very important that uh, you understand what your rights are and what you need to do to uh, protect those rights mm-hmm. now usually when we hear discussions on bankruptcy it's in the reverse it's it's you know if you declare bankruptcy here's all the things that you get and it it's it it if you watch daytime television you would think from all the ads about how you can stop foreclosure you can stop wage garnishments that it's the it's the person declaring bankruptcy who has all the rights so uh, what what sort of rights do the do the creditors actually have in a bankruptcy? Well, actually, the the bankruptcy system is is a really a fairly balanced system between debtor and creditor, and um, I think the operative word that you used in your description is is that what what bankruptcy does is it is it stops a process, but it only stops a process on a temporary basis. Um, when when bankruptcy is initiated or, or filed with the actual court, um, there is what we call an automatic stay that is instituted, which automatically prevents um, you know any creditor from taking any action against that debtor. Um, but that automatic stay can be modified um, during the course of the bankruptcy if necessary. So. Um, so, for example, let's say that uh, uh, you have a uh, um, you, you have a mortgage on a property, and, and the debtor's paying you on that mortgage, and say that it's their personal residence. Um, again, it depends on what kind of bankruptcy they they file, um, but um, you know you can if, if they are not going to pay you on that mortgage, they're going to give that home away. Um, say they no longer can afford it, then you can seek what we call a relief from stay, filing a motion with the court um, saying, look, the debtor doesn't want this property anymore, and um, we want to assert our rights. Um, so you can file that motion, and within about a uh, oh, 45-day process, uh, give, or, give or take, um, if it's not challenged, you would get your relief from stay, and you could begin your for- foreclosure example for, uh, or for- foreclosure as, as, as an example, if you wanted to go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know it's 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 important. I mean, um, again, the other thing too is 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 you'll get notice in a lot of bankruptcies. Say for example, a Chapter Seven. Um, you know, a lot of Chapter 7s that are filed are no assets, um, meaning that if it's a no-asset bankruptcy, you're not required to file a proof of claim. 
Um, but if it's listed as an asset bankruptcy, if the trustee determines there to be assets, um, then depending upon the nature of your claim, uh, you want to file a proof of claim so that you can potentially share in some of the assets of the bank of the bankruptcy. Um, so there's there's a lot of things out there, and it's it, it's it um, it just depends on the particular fact and circumstance of every case as to um, what specific rights you may or may not have. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking today about creditors' rights in a bankruptcy. And if you're sitting there thinking, "Well, this isn't going to affect me because I don't I don't buy mortgages. I don't I don't you know." take back mortgages on houses that I sell. So I don't really see what this is all about uh, in terms of my life. You need to keep listening in because we're going to talk after the break about um, ways in which it can affect your life, even if you do not carry back mortgages at this time. And it's it's good stuff to know. Uh, this is a pre-recorded program, so unfortunately we cannot take any questions live on the air. You can certainly email questions for me to askvina at gmail.com, and I will forward them to Tom later. But uh, that's, that's, that's your one option today. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Remember, you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate through our website, realliferealestateinvesting.com, where we have a complete archive of all the programs for the last, oh, six, seven, eight years. Uh, And also there's normally a special offer for listeners as well. You can also... Uh, fill out our uh, keep in contact form and we'll send you an e-letter every week with an article by or about our speakers or their topics and keep you abreast of uh, offers that we're making. And do not forget to check out our $1 to start coaching deal. You can actually jump on there, pledge a dollar to WMKV and uh, get a month of uh, weekly online classes, unlimited email coaching, and some other great benefits. If you decide to stay on, it's just $39.97 a month, and you can quit anytime. And the best part is, it all goes to public radio. That's at realliferealestateinvesting.com. My guest today is Tom Novak, who does all sorts of creditors' rights things, but we are talking today specifically about the issue of bankruptcy and what happens when a tenant or somebody who owes you money uh, declares bankruptcy and you are on the receiving end of that bankruptcy in the sense that you are named as a creditor. So, Tom, I think one you know, big companies are used to this, right? I mean, I'm sure Bank of America gets 900 bankruptcy <laughs> letters a day. So they kind of know something very, very basic that I think we'd we'd better share with listeners, which is when you get one of those envelopes, the next thing you do is not pick up the phone and call your tenant or your borrower and say, hey, what the heck is going on? You owe me money. Definitely. Definitely don't want to do that because, as I mentioned earlier, um, once bankruptcy gets, gets filed, um, we have this thing <laughs> called the automatic stay that takes place which absolutely um, forbids a creditor from taking um, any kind of action um, 
against the debtor until such time as that uh, stay is essentially re- removed. And it can be done a couple different ways. It can be done by filing a motion for relief from stay with the court. Um, the automatic stay automatically ceases when the uh, bankruptcy case is essentially closed. Um, those are the two primary ways that it gets handled. Um, so uh, the thing that you want to do is is that once you get the bankruptcy filed, um, you probably want to consult with um, you know an, an, an attorney if you're not uh, familiar with the bankruptcy process just to have somebody briefly uh, explain to you um, what your rights are and what your next steps are going to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's really tempting, especially if you've had a good relationship with the person maybe leading up to that big white envelope, to call them up and say, hey, what's up? You know, you're going to pay me, right? And that it actually, if you read through what's in the big white envelope, it says, do not do that. Uh, even even a friendly call could be construed as a call from a creditor, which they're not supposed to be getting while they're in bankruptcy, as I understand it. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. You're not supposed to call them. And, uh, you know, if you um, would call, um, and, and certainly if, if calls would, would rise to the level of becoming harassing or whatever, um, the creditor would have the right to essentially seek sanctions um, against you as the creditor uh, for violating the, the automatic stay. Um, the same way as if, uh, let's just say, you uh, uh, had a tenant who filed um, a, bank, a bankruptcy and you said, darn it, I'm, I'm tired of it and uh, um, I, I'm going to evict this person. And if you were to go ahead and file an eviction proceeding after the bankruptcy had been filed, you would uh, be in violation of the uh, of the of the stay, and again, it's possible that the bankruptcy court could levy sanctions against you. Typically, those would be in a monetary nature, and depending upon how serious the violation, um, the sanctions could be pretty hefty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, totally not worth it. No calls, no visits, no letters, no nothing. Once right. you've gotten that uh, envelope, uh, until your attorney says it's okay to do that. Now. I know we could spend days on different kinds of bankruptcies that people can file and what they need, but or what they mean. But let's let's spend a few minutes on the two most common types of bankruptcy that you're going to see. And it usually says right at the top of the front page of the thing that comes in the white envelope which type it is. Um, what are Correct. they, and what are what are the differences from the point of view of the creditor? Okay, the the two most common types um, they're 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 referred to as as chapters, and it's either a Chapter Seven uh, bankruptcy or a Chapter Thirteen uh, bankruptcy. And the the seven and the thirteen just basically refer to the specific um, literally chapters in the bankruptcy code where where those were were created. A uh, Chapter Seven is basically a liquidation. And that's where a debtor says, um, I'm going to surrender all my property to the trustee and whatever equity I have in that property, um, the trustee can use that to satisfy my uh, creditors. Um, in, in that bankruptcy, um, you know, if you are a secured creditor, if you hold the mortgage, um, uh, for, for example, or, or I mean, that's going to be the most common uh, type of se- security. Maybe you might have um, a UCC filing, and you might have uh, ownership in personal property as as, as well. 
Um, in those situations, I mean, the assuming that your your mortgage or your UCC was affected validly, um, that is that's going to be superior in right to that of the tru- trustee. So, for example, if you would have a property that would have equity in it. Um, uh, or the debtor, you know, would own property and it would have equity. The trustee could potentially sell that property, but would have to satisfy, you know, any of the liens on the property in that particular situation. The other thing that's interesting to understand about a Chapter Seven is is that um, if you are a secured creditor, the trustee is really not working for your benefit. Um, the trustee works for the benefit of the unsecured creditor, um, and the, the the distinction there is. Is, is that the um, the secured creditor, the one holding the mortgage, for example, um, the theory is is that they should have adequate protection to protect the amount of money um, that they're owed. Um, so just kind of a learning lesson here is is you want to make sure that when you're um, <clears throat> giving a mor- or taking a mortgage back on a property that, that there is sufficient equity there to cover it because if you get into bankruptcy, uh, you could be in a situation where maybe you're going to lose that equity um, or a portion of it. Now, the other kind of bankruptcy that we have out there is a, is a Chapter 13 that you typically see for individuals. And a Chapter 13 uh, bankruptcy is, is what's known as an individual reorganization. Um, and in that sort of um, an arrangement, the debtor is basically saying, look, I'm making money. I just don't have enough cash flow right now to satisfy my debts as they come due. So what the Chapter 13 allows you allows the debtor to do is to basically take um, uh, past due amounts and cure those past due amounts over um, a five-year period. Um, that's the longest that a Chapter 13 can last. And then basically, um, uh, on a going forward basis, then keep debts current. So for example, if, if you had a mortgage and a um and and the and the debtor filed a chapter 13 and let's say they were 3 months behind they would have a right to take that arrearage um pretty much at an interest free basis and cure that um over um the 5 year period they could they could pay that out in in installments over 5 years but they would be required to keep the payments from the date of bankruptcy filing um forward current so it's it's really just a, a mechanism in in a situation where um, you're allowing them to cure a deficiency over a period of time. When you get discharged in your Chapter 13 um, and you own a mortgage, you still have um, you still come out of there. There isn't a discharge of the debt. You just basically have brought the debt current at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Unlike in a Chapter 7, when you get a Chapter 7 uh, dis- dis- discharge, the debtor no longer would owe any thing on the actual note at that point in time. So you would not be able to go against the debtor. But if you have a mortgage, for example, you could still foreclose on the mortgage. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets a little complicated here, but but those are kind of the general nuances of the of the two. Well, and you just said something very important that uh, I think a lot of uh, folks who either invest in mortgages or it's becoming more and more common that I might buy a house, fix it, and then sell it and carry back a mortgage. So I, I didn't buy somebody else's mortgage. It was my mortgage to start with. They they get very fearful of bankruptcy because they think that if the seller declares bankruptcy, they can never get anything ever again. And um, well, what you just said about the Chapter 7 
which is the maybe more frightening one, is, yeah, I can't go after the the borrower for the money he owes me, but I still can foreclose on the property to get paid. Correct. Um, and that and that is that is really key. And I, and I think I think you're you're raising a valid point there in terms of a lot of people don't recognize that that uh, that basically the underlying debt gets extinguished, but the but the security interest, i.e., the mortgage, um, does not get extinguished as part of the bank bankruptcy. Now, it is possible in a bankruptcy that they could seek to um, basically. Um, set aside a mortgage, um, and you typically would would see that perhaps in a you know in a second or or a third mortgage uh, situation. Um, it's it's typically not very common, but it could be done. But in most situations, if you hold a first mortgage um, and your debtor gets dis- discharged, um, <clears throat> you can still um, um, per- proceed with a for- foreclosure action. Um, to um, you know, you would not get a judgment against the uh, the debtor that you could collect. You would get a determination by the state court that you were owed a certain amount of money under your note, um, and that that was in, in default. And then you could, uh, and then the court would order the property sold. Um, so again, a little bit of a of, of a nuance there. You're, you're not really suing the individual. You're really suing against the property that uh, you have an interest in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. My guest today is Tom Novak, who is an attorney who specializes in various sorts of creditors' rights and also is the uh, uh, moderator of the Ohio Note Buyers Forum on LinkedIn. If you'd like to get in touch with Tom, that is a good way to do it. We need to take a quick break. We will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vena Jones-Cox, and I'm talking today to Tom Novak, who is an attorney who, with 28 years' experience in the attorneying field. <laughs> he is uh, with Walker Law Offices in Pickerington, Ohio, and does a lot of work with creditors' rights with real estate investors uh, in particular. And Tom, I think you also have a business where you, in fact, uh, buy notes as well, right? So you're kind of on both sides um, of this. Actually, I, I have really not done that. I've not, I, you know, most of what I do with respect to notes is, is I help uh, facilitate others in the purchase of them. Mm. I've not uh, broken into that field myself yet. Probably something I need to give some serious thought to doing. <laughs> um, but right now I'm kind of limited to just doing it uh, um, for my clients that, uh, you know, need help in that area. Mm, okay, very good. So, the first time I got one of those envelopes, I had been in real estate for about four years, and I had this tenant. And the tenant was about a month and a half behind in their rent, and I, of course, you know, sent the, I, they'd already received, in fact, both the three-day notice and the eviction notice, and we were scheduled to go to court in a couple of days, and I get this envelope, says Federal Bankruptcy Court, and... I opened it up and my name was there on the line with the creditors. And I thought, how is this possible? It's, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a, a, a mortgage to me or something. He just, he's, he's a tenant. Does this mean I can not evict him? Does this mean I can never collect this money that he owes us? So I think that's probably where most of our listeners are going to see this. If, if a normal residential tenant 
It's not a business. It's just a guy living in your house or your apartment. And he's in the middle of a lease, and halfway through the lease, he declares bankruptcy. What does that mean to the landlord? Well, um, what it what it means is is once they file uh, the the bankruptcy again, that uh, automatic stay kicks in, and again, all the things we talked about before should be kicking in, and that that means you have to stop. Although as frustrating as it uh, may be, but even though you have to stop, it doesn't mean that that you're not going to be able to uh, uh, proceed at some point in time. Um, the, the bankruptcy code um, has some uh, specific uh, provisions that are that are written into it. Um, some are specific to Chapter 7 and some are specific to 13. I'll concentrate right now on some provisions that apply to Chapter 7 uh, because that, that that's probably one of the more common type of uh, bankruptcies that you will see out there. Um, if if a bankruptcy uh, or excuse me if 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 you had already gotten um, if you'd gone to eviction court and you'd already gotten your um, uh, your judgment for eviction and then the bankruptcy had been filed in that situation um, basically the automatic stay kicks in for a 30 day period um, giving the debtor at least that period of time to attempt to cure what caused the default in the first place. Um, if they have not cured the default um, within that 30-day period of time, then the automatic stay is essentially lifted, and um, you can uh, then, you know, proceed with the eviction. So you could you could then schedule your, your set out and um, go forward with that, and that's that's kind of an automatic process at that point in time. Um, the debtor, of course, has a right to essentially challenge that uh, uh, 30-day period. They can request an extension and those sorts of things, and um, it's just a situation where you have to um, uh, be be vigilant about it. Uh, you may want to oppose it um, under certain circumstances. Um, under other circumstances, it might make sense to work with the debtor. Now, let's let's talk about the kind of the situation that you had um, where, you know, you hadn't gotten your eviction yet, it hadn't gone to court, um, and you but but you were pretty close to that. Um, what happens there is is that you are in a situation where there is a period of time, a 60-day period of time, where the trustee in a Chapter 7 um, has a right to um, either assume or reject the lease. And um, most of the time, the trustee is going to reject the lease. The trustee is going to, you know, decide that, that, you know, there's really no need for that at that point in time. So after that 60-day period is up, the um, uh, the landlord then can, you know, um, it's an automatic uh, relief from the stay at that point in time. The landlord can then proceed to... Uh, you know, file the eviction and and move forward and collect money, and it's going to be determined. Um, the, the the presumption is is that the default occurred prior to the actual filing of the bankruptcy. So what, whatever was owed at that particular point in time, um, you're, you're able to kind of collect it all, and then you know you would you would go through the eviction proceeding and and do what you needed there to uh, to get that done. So really, in the Chapter Seven situation, um, you're looking at about a 60-day period of time. Um, now, if there is an assumption of the lease by the by the trustee, um, then there's an then there's an expectation that that, that the that the lease deficiency um, will be will be cured on a uh, uh, you know on a timely basis, very timely basis, and uh, and then you'll be be paid going going forward. So.
So again, um, not that horrible of a result out there. It's uh, more of a situation uh, where you're just going to uh, be without rent uh, for a few months and have to let the legal process work. Um, you know, in in certain situations too, you you can ex- ex- expedite the process um, if you have a tenant that is basically doing something that is contrary to law. Um, <clears throat> Uh, at at the property or they're consuming um you know illegal drugs or whatever uh you can go ahead and you can actually file an eviction for that even with the stay pending you have to give the court notice there's a procedure for essentially doing that so if you got somebody that is really um you know uh doing doing something terrible to the property um you have a way to potentially get them out earlier in the in the chapter 7 context um the chapter 13 process is um uh, somewhat the same way in the sense that uh, there's a period of time the debtor has to uh, basically make a determination as to whether or not they're going to assume or reject the lease. Um, again, if they're going to um, assume the lease, then they have an obligation to bring the payments current timely, and that's where it becomes very important in a Chapter 13 to review the plan, to determine that if they are going to assume the lease, um, how they're going to bring those payments current. Um, and if it's over a long extended period of time, then that's probably something that uh, the landlord's going to want to file an objection with the bankruptcy court on because that's probably not in compliance with the bankruptcy rules. Um, you know, the expectation is, is that that would get cured um, uh, timely and uh, then the uh, um, the payments would then continue through the process of the Chapter 13. Again, if uh, if they're not going to make the payments, um, then you're going to be in a position where you can uh, pursue your rights at that point in time if they're going to reject the contract. So potentially, worst-case scenario, you could go 60 days before you could file the eviction, and then, of course, depending on where you live, the eviction itself could take another 30 to 45 days until... Uh, set out. So you could be looking at up to three months, maybe without rent, maybe a little bit more, which is why it's kind of important to understand your tenant's financial situation before you put them into the house. Absolutely. Um, you know, pre, pre-screening tenants, um, just, just in general, um, from a lot of different uh, situations that could negatively impact um, a, a landlord. That's, that's, I see a lot of that in my practice where, uh, you know, the, the landlord didn't, didn't really do a good job of pre-screening the tenant, and then we find things out after the fact, and they're going, oh, gee whiz, I wish I would have done this or done that. And there are plenty of avenues to, um, you know, get some pretty good uh, pre-screening on tenants uh, uh, for a very small amount of money and probably money that uh, in, in, in the long run is well well spent because it potentially saves in legal fees of having to deal with bank with bankruptcy issues or, you know, potentially other issues uh, that, that are going to cost the uh, landlord money. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk briefly about the security deposit because my, my understanding is basically when somebody declares bankruptcy, the trustee is at that point in charge of all of their money. And a security deposit is really their money. Even though you're holding it, it's their money so what happens with that well in 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 the situation is i mean i I think from a practical standpoint i mean security deposits in the main are not not very large i mean potentially the um in a chapter seven uh, potentially a chapter seven trustee could could potentially 
ask for that money money back. Um, I think at that point in time, then there's going to be some some give and give and take between the landlord and the and the, and the tr- trustee. The landlord's going to say, look, you know, a lot of it I think is going to is going to depend on whether there's an acceptance or a rejection of the contract. I think e- e- either way. Um, I think there are, um, there's very strong arguments that that money is going to is going to re- remain with the uh, with 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 the landlord, uh, but I also think it's going to depend a lot too in in how the lease is written and what the intent of the of the security deposit is, because in theory, if the security deposit is to cover damages to the uh, um, you know to to the property, depending on how you've got that written in your lease, um, there could be an argument made by the trustee. Let's say that the property was turned back over in very good con- condition. I mean, that's that's not a likely uh, scenario, but certainly could be. At that point in time, the trustee may make an argument and say, well, you know, um, in you know, had this bankruptcy not been filed, you would have had an obligation to return this uh, security de- de- deposit to them, um, and uh, so now you've got to give it back to me. Um, so again, you know, you want to make sure that when you're drafting your leases that, you know, you, you have good clauses in there as to what that security deposit could be could be up you know up applied to in that situation. So, you know, if the security deposit, you know, can be used to to satisfy uh, delinquent rents or that sort of thing, I think at that point in time, um, you've got a good argument to say that, look, um, that's going to um, apply um, to the indebtedness that's owed to us, and you should be able to uh, re- retain that at most, in, in most instances. And, you know, I mean, trustees typically aren't going to, um, you know, argue too, too hard over, over a couple hundred dollars. Um, you know, now if you have a really large security deposit, you know it uh, may, uh, may 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 intrigue them more and cause them to be a little more um, aggressive. Very good. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today to Tom Novak about your rights when a tenant or a buyer declares bankruptcy. Uh, this is a pre-recorded show, so unfortunately we cannot take calls or questions. If you do have questions for Tom, you can email me them at askvina at gmail.com, and I will get them uh, forwarded to him. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to Tom Novak, an attorney from Walker Law Offices in Pickerington, Ohio. We're talking about your rights as a creditor, meaning a landlord, holder of a mortgage, etc., in a bankruptcy. So, Tom, let's take it to the next step and say we did carry back a mortgage and the buyer declares bankruptcy. We've already said, can't call them up and say, pay me or die. Can't um, expect to collect anything until the bankruptcy court does its thing. What happens when, so let's, let's say that the, the, the borrower does just decide they don't want the house anymore. What, what happens at that point? Does the bankruptcy trustee just say, okay, creditor, it's your house? Or is there, is there some other process that has to happen? Well, yeah, in, in, in that situation, um, uh, basically with, with real property, um, the debtor, again, um, uh, makes a, a determination as to whether they're going to retain or they're going to surrender the, the property. And uh, in the case you're describing, the the debtor um, would would basically indicate on what they call a statement of intention that they're required to file um, as to what their intention is. And um, 
you know, if the debtor would indicate that they're surrendering the property um, in Ohio, um, we still have to take another step, even though they're basically saying that uh, um, I don't want this property, um, creditor, you can you can take it and do what you need to do with it. Um, we still have that automatic stay sitting out there, and we still have to file a uh, a motion for relief from stay in order to uh, proceed. Uh, so again, typically, what that that happens very early on in the process. Um, the bankruptcy gets filed, um, and, and even if the debtor hasn't filed their statement of intention yet, most of the time, most most creditors typically file a motion for uh, relief from stay so they can get on top of it. And uh, once that's granted, like I say, about a 45-day period of time. Uh, then the debtor can uh, move forward, or the creditor, excuse me, can can move forward with a with a for, with a foreclosure on on the property to, um, you know, do their best to get the mortgage satisfied. Again, in that in that situation, you would be just foreclosing upon the property. Um, you know, more likely than not, there would be a discharge granted at some point in time, which would uh, pre- pre- preclude collection from the debtor. Um, them, them themselves at that point in time, mm-hmm. uh, but digitally you can get the for uh, foreclosure moving and go forward. Now, um, if there if there aren't a lot of other liens on the property, if if by some miracle this bankrupt person only has the one mortgage on the property, can the creditor get a deed in lieu of foreclosure after bankruptcy? Um, but that's that's certainly possible. Um, and we have we have done those. And again, um, after after bankruptcy is probably the the, the operative word here. Um, in, in the situation is because because during the the pendency of the bankruptcy, all assets of the of the debtor uh, vest to the trustee. So there, it's as if the debtor's given everything that he or she owns to the tr- trustee. So you'd have to be dealing with the with the trustee at that point in time. And it's unlikely a, tr- a trustee is probably going to be willing to do a deed in lieu. But if you get to a point where a discharge has been um, uh, has been uh, um, ordered uh, by the court. And, and the other thing that I think has to be uh, clarified and kept in mind here is that just because you get a relief from stay, that means that you're free to proceed against the debtor. You, you still have the trustee out there, um, and um, the trustees has rights um, it, it, in that property. So, for example, if, if we would go and we would foreclose on a property, and let's say that after we got paid, in the very, very rare event, there would be excess funds that would go back to the debtor. Those would go back to the to the trust to the trust trustee. And and the point is is that you you typically want to have two things that have to happen before you could kind of start talking about your deed in lieu. You have to have the, the you have to have a relief from stay, which would occur at dis, at discharge, and then you would have basically a case closure. You would have the trustee effectively abandoning the property. Now, you can also seek an affirmative abandonment from the trustee um, early on in the process, earlier on in the process if you want to do that. But you have to have both of those things happen um, before I think you'd be comfortable to sit down and, and have that discussion with the debtor. And again, the, the, the discussion has to be, uh, you have to be very careful on, on how you have that uh, discussion. It, it can't be, um, you know, hey, look, you owe me all this this money, and I'm going to take your property. Why don't you just give it to me? It's, it's got to be 
um, a discussion where it says, look, we recognize that we don't have any right to uh, to collect any monies from you at all, but we do still have a valid mortgage on the uh, property, and um, you know we intend to foreclose on that. If you would like to avoid the foreclosure process, you know we would do a deed in lieu of uh, foreclosure. You could deed us the property, and in a lot of instances, um, you, you know you you have. Uh, debtors that are more than willing to do that. They've kind of been through a challenging time in their life and being drugged through, you know, a foreclosure, even though it's really not going to mean anything to them, um, you know, it's it's just one less hassle they have to worry worry about. So that is a that is a potential option out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and I recently discovered uh, that uh, a foreclosure following a bankruptcy does delay that creditor's or that debtor's ability to buy a property again. I didn't think it did. I thought bankruptcy was like the worst thing that could happen to you. And once you were through that, the foreclosure was just sort of a side issue. But Fannie Mae and FHA both have rules that say two years after the end of a foreclosure. So if the foreclosure takes another 13 months after the bankruptcy is over, that actually does negatively affect the borrower beyond what the bankruptcy itself did. So, correct. Um, yeah. I think I think the lesson here is that if you are going to be in the mortgage business, whether that means you are carrying back mortgages for people or you are particularly de- buying defaulted notes, you better read up on bankruptcy because it is going to be part of your life. Yeah, and and I think I think the the key issue is too is is you have to look at it and you have to know you know. Um, has the has the uh, you know the borrower debtor um, already gone through a bankruptcy, um, you know because that's going to impact upon you know what your what your remedies are, um, you know uh, so so there's a lot of bankruptcy issues here that can that can affect um, you know your plan say in in buying a note what your what your end game is um you know and it it could it could definitely slow the slow the process down i mean if if you're looking to get in and out and with a with a rehab or something buying a note in a fairly short period of time and then you have the uh, borrower debtor filing a bank a bankruptcy um that could really really extend that period of time so you you know you got to have that contingency built into your uh, to, to your model mm-hmm. Now, Tom, we have literally like one minute left here. So I I just want to spend that minute reiterating to listeners, if they get an envelope with a notice from the bankruptcy court that that says uh, this person has declared bankruptcy and they have named you as a creditor for whatever reason, you had a judgment for back rent, you have a mortgage, you have their, their tenant, what is the first thing they should do? The first thing that they should do is, uh, in my opinion, is to is to contact a a, a lawyer of their of their of their choice um, that they can sit down with, explain their situation, um, and understand what their what their rights are. Uh, the one thing that they should not do, um, and that is certainly um, contact the debtor in a, any way, shape, or form uh, to try to get a better understanding of uh, why the bankruptcy's happened, or uh, you know, or, or to express you know, their displeasure with the debtor. Um, you know, definitely don't do that. Definitely get some advice on how to how to proceed, um, because um, the little bit you spend to get that advice is is likely to. 
pr- protect your rights and get you get you through the process much quicker than it would be uh, um, if you just did 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 nothing. Thank you very much, Tom Novak, Walker Law Offices. You can connect with him at the Ohio Note Buyers Forum on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.